a little warning before we get going with today's show. We are going to be talking about sexual assault, adult themes, and using some sexual language in this episode. So you may want to turn down your volume or even play it away from Little Ears. Hi, I'm Becky, and welcome to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast, where we explore motherhood from a Christian perspective through women's stories and wisdom to help us remain the salt of the earth in today's culture. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Salty Mums podcast. I hope you're doing okay this week. I have heard a lot of mums refer to the term end of termitis this last week, and if that is a real thing we have definitely got it in our house everyone's emotional everyone's overtired and everyone is very much looking forward to some slower mornings not having to be out the house by nine every morning including weekends um so yeah I hope we're, we're nearly there we're nearly there um just gotta keep plodding on for a few more days what was really lovely for my weekend is I actually got to meet one of the guests that we've had on the first two episodes, Laura Mears, who we interviewed last week in the flesh on Sunday, which was amazing. Um, and I really encourage you to listen back to her episode from last week where we explore how we can apply some of her leadership coaching tools to motherhood, to uh, work, general, also how we can participate in the body of Christ as well and, and, and be authentically ourselves. And we also talk about how we can do uh, holding leadership accountable better as a church. So it's a really relevant topic at the moment uh, with stuff going on in church news, sadly. But yeah, I could have talked to Laura for so much longer yesterday um, and I spoke to her for a long time yesterday. So there we go. Uh Anyway, to today's episode, we have got such an interesting topic today and one of the reasons when I, that I started this podcast with, with Helen initially um, was that I wanted to talk about things that we don't normally talk about in motherhood context, but issues that do affect mothers in some ways and I've heard this issue talked about very much from a parenting perspective and we do talk about the parenting perspective quite a lot in the podcast today but I also wanted to talk about it from a perspective of relationships or or personally and um, you may have seen from the title of the podcast we're going to talk about porn which I think in the church is still quite a taboo topic but as Natasha will talk about it's such a big issue because it's so widely used now because of the internet um and i think we're the first generation uh, that has had on demand uh, pornography through all our adult life i think it was starting to really uh grow as an industry probably towards the end of our teens if you're a millennial like me so we're only really just starting to see the impact of of having so much porn on our on our laptops or or tablets um and the impact of that on on young people and on relationships and on addiction and and all these things and i think it's just a really important topic so here is today's episode Today we have Natasha Reese, who is the school's lead for the Naked Truth Project, a UK charity that seeks to open eyes and free lives from the damaging impact of porn. She's a member of the church I go to, and I know she'll be particularly great about talking about this from a youth perspective, as we're fellow members of the youth team. Hi, Natasha. Hi, Becky. So Natasha, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yep, so uh, I'm, I'm Natasha, I'm the school's lead for the Naked Truth Project. Um, I am 30 years old, in case that some people would like to know how old you are, 30 if I'm in school. So some of the questions are, how old are you? And I'm 30. <laughs> they find that helpful, that's okay. Uh, I am married to a lovely guy called Alan. Um, we don't have any kids, so I'm not a parent. So I'm conscious we're going to be chatting about some parenting things as we go on. I'm not a parent, so full disclosure on that just right now. I'm not a mum. <laughs> Um, but I do, yeah, do a lot of youth work. I've been a youth worker for the last kind of seven years. Um, so, yeah, really passionate about young people in particular and helping them to live their best lives, basically. Um, yeah, I've been working for the Naked Truth Project for five years and the charity is 10 years old. So I've been there kind of for half its, half its life. Oh, so it's quite new then. 
Yes, yeah, yeah, quite small. There's maybe kind of like five of us who are salaried and a lot more volunteers. Um, yeah, so still relatively kind of baby in terms of, <laughs> kind of the wider charity space, people who've been around for a long time. Awesome. Thanks, Natasha. Um, why, why this field of work? Mm, it's such a great question and I get it asked a lot <laughs> people are like you know you're at a kind of a, like a, a nice dinner or something I'm like, oh, well, what do you do and you're like okay right how what level of, of detail do I do I go into here you know, I work for a porn charity people have a lot of questions about that which is completely fair enough um the uh the the full kind of unedited reason uh, is actually a little bit sad I'm afraid so apologies if uh uh, if this is tr- triggering for some people. But the reason that I work in this space, well, I didn't always do this work. Um, I used to work um, in insurance. Uh, and uh, while I was there, I was sexually assaulted by a colleague. And the kind of the classic narrative of that is, I don't know, somebody senior kind of pushing their luck and going for, like, I'll give you a promotion or a branch manager, that kind of thing. But this actually was somebody junior to me. He was quite a few years younger than me on the graduate scheme uh, and it became really clear from the way that he treated me that he was consuming a lot of pornography. Uh, and it was kind of like, obviously, it was really difficult. And I had to navigate that with my husband. Um, we, we were just just married by then. Um, and it was one of those, like, it was it was a really horrible time. <laughs> I'm going to be real. It, was, it sucked. Um, and it was, I just sort of found myself in this place where I was like, this is wrong. Someone should do something. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm someone. Maybe, maybe I could do something um and so yeah just basically asked around like are there any people working in this space particularly are there any christian organizations doing this kind of work and find out about the naked truth project and uh, here i am five years later oh i mean we i was talking about this with another guest yesterday of like how um these really crap things can happen to us in in life and mm. obviously i don't believe that god causes them no but no, God does redeem them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. And that's, and that's a real story of redemption, I think, of like, mm. you know, working through you to to do something awesome, yeah. a result of something really, really rubbish. Um, yeah. I've got to say, Natasha, researching this topic, it's been a little bit dark. Yeah, there's <laughs> some dark spaces. Yeah. Yeah. This, and this line of work. Seeing how young young people children are exposed to it the stats and the levels of aggression and trafficking um oh sorry just a balloon fell down background. great lovely <laughs> uh, it's real life here guys um <laughs> um and in many ways it's it's quite a socially acceptable thing to do now in the privacy of our own house and with a narrative of women are really liberated who participate in it participate in it um, and I'm really conscious I don't want us to sound super judgy but sure. is there a problem with porn itself both from a faith perspective and also just generally or is there just a problem with porn addiction and early exposure to porn as such mm, yeah yeah and it's, a, it's a completely fair question and different people will have different answers to this and that's okay um, but the way that I'd like to kind of tackle this is to talk about the scale of, of the of the of the issue I would say rather than problem per se um and uh, I don't know if you know, but they are the most popular porn website um, received 54 billion hits in the calendar year 2021. Um, and if you put that together with the second most popular porn website, you get to 78 billion hits in a calendar year. And there's about 7.8 billion people in the world, right? Um, so that does that mean that like every single person on planet Earth from the age of naught to over 100 is accessing these websites 10 times a year? Probably not, right? So is it half the population 20 times a year? Well, that's already about once every two weeks. And those numbers, I mean, there's a lot of different websites available. That's just two of them. Um, this doesn't account for any of the porn consumed on apps or on social media. So the kind of scale of this is absolutely massive. On this one one um, porn website, the, the most popular one, um, which is kind of more than double as popular as YouTube, basically, just in case that helps for kind of context. Um, there's about three quarters of a million people on this website all the time. That's the background noise now of our society. And so sometimes people say to me, I don't think porn is like having an impact. I don't think it's making any difference to anything. And I'll be honest, I just find that quite naive. Like it will be having some impact on society. Surely once the numbers are this big, if we want to say it's not making any difference, 
I think I'll, I'll be real, we're just kidding ourselves. So the question isn't, is porn having an impact? The question becomes, what impact is porn having? And we have to accept that all the media that we consume can basically influence us for good or bad, right? The example I like to use here is the uptick in the number of girls like standing up to archery clubs and archery lessons after the Hunger Games films came out, which is a lovely, what a lovely influence off the back of some media that came out. But if we accept that it can influence us for good, it can also influence us for bad. And we believe that pornography has the capacity to do that. Um, so what we talk about um, as Naked Truth Project in terms of the damaging impact is we so we say that porn is a thief, basically. Porn can rob your health, it can rob your relationships, and it can rob the people on the other side of the screen. So those are the kind of categories that we break stuff down into. Some of it, the health stuff is addiction, absolutely, and we can get into that. But some of it is the rest of our bodies. Um, uh, lots of young men now are presenting their doctors with symptoms of erectile dysfunction in their kind of 30s their 20s, even their teenage years. And this is something that kind of wouldn't be happening in nature. And so we have to go, oh, is there something else that's kind of maybe maybe linked to this? I speak to GPs who say, loads of young women now are presenting to us with incontinence symptoms. And I go, oh, that's very interesting because actually anal sex performed upon young women is, is a very kind of key theme in pornography. No way of kind of proving causation, but it's certainly an interesting correlation I, I get um, yeah, hospital doctors and nurses saying, oh, there's a lot of young women presenting at hospital with symptoms of stroke, like way more than we would normally expect. And they go, oh, that's very interesting because strangulation performed upon women is, is an increasing theme that we're seeing in oh pornography. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah. And this is, and there's a quote from um, from Oscar Wilde, uh, who I don't particularly like, but I think this quote is very <laughs> prescient. He says um, that everything is about sex, except sex, which is about power. And I don't know if that's kind of true for the maybe kind of the yeah. mutual kind of connective relational sex we'd love to be promoting, especially in the faith community. Um, but it's certainly true for the kind of sex that we see in pornography. Actually, some of these acts, things like strangulation or like spitting in someone's mouth, actually, that's got nothing to do with sex anymore. It's not actually, it's not sexy. It's just about power. It's about dominance and control. And, uh, and maybe people don't think that's a problem. That's okay. They're allowed to think that. But I think that is a problem, actually. And I, I don't want to be encouraging that kind of mindset when it comes to our sexual relationships. I think we can, I think we can do better than that. Um, and that's all quite kind of activist-y, <laughs> I think. In terms no, of I, th I, think it's, I think it's really, I think it's really important. And I think particularly as a mother of boys mm. um, and knowing that much more of the aggression in porn is shown towards women. Yeah, yeah. I'm very conscious of that <laughs> yeah. um yeah. and um on our last season of the podcast we talked to Natalie Collins about domestic abuse and she was saying about how you know this sort of model in society of that that is more subversive now I think like in the mm. past it was much more clear that women weren't as equal to men whereas I think it's a much more subversive message of men still have power over women in in different ways and and i'm sure porn is probably a huge contributor to that um you know. i think so i think that's particularly prescient because i mean you mentioned kind of about oh the women in it are kind of empowered and liberated and that sort of thing and so i think that makes it particularly transgressive is that actually um sex work is presented as being very empowering for women and yet within it the women don't have the power and so it's this, oh, you're allowed to have power to this extent, but not actually because men still have the power. And so this is, it's a, yeah, we can get into the patriarchy of it if you want, but I think it's a really interesting reflection of it's presented as empowering, but actually what's happening in it is, is a lack of power and the removal yeah. of power very yeah. deliberately. I'll, I'll mention as well that I've just, I literally have just been listening to a podcast um, by The Orchard um, mm. um, and, they were and they were talking with Danielle Strickland and um, oh, yeah. talking about, Rahab and you know obviously she's a prostitute and talking about they talk a lot about power in that so mm. I really recommend people to have a listen to that as well yeah great I think as well I just I mean from first principles um it doesn't even need to be necessarily about pornography this is something that I chat with um with even the younger kids the 11 and 12 year old in my kind of internet safety lessons that I do I talk about actually the way that we expect you to behave like in school, at home, the kind of character values we expect there are the same things, explanations that we'd have of you in your on, in your online life, yeah. right? 
if, you, if this would be a rude thing to say to somebody face to face, it's a rude thing to say to somebody over your video gaming chat, right? Or on Snap and that kind of thing. And the kids go, oh yeah, okay, I kind of understand that. But actually sometimes I think we as adults need to kind of hear that message too, because that has to work both ways, right? If it would be, if, if you think it would be weird to watch two strangers having sex in real life, why is it okay if there's a screen in the way? You know, maybe you think both the situations are fine and that's okay. At least that's internally consistent logically. But if you think one would be creepy and one isn't, well, why is that? That kind of, we need to interrogate this. If this is okay for us to do online, but not offline, we just need to do some more kind of work and some more thinking about that, I think, because so we want to be people of integrity. We want to be people of authenticity. And so our online and offline behaviors matching up, I think is a really key part of that. Yeah. That's really helpful. Thank you. Um, so you you work in schools educating teenagers yeah. themselves about porn. And as this is a podcast about motherhood, I think that for many listeners, the prime concern will be our children. So cool. at what age are kids being exposed to porn and what damage is it causing them? Sure, sure. Um, so there was um, the Children's Commissioner did a report that was released in February this year. So the kind of most up-to-date stats that we have are basically um, about a third of 10-year-olds have been exposed to pornography and that gradually increases until they get to about 13, at which point it's more than half. Um, so that's a kind of, Yeah, a third of 10-year-olds. And that's partly because that's when we tend to give them their first mobile phone. A year six or kind of year seven is a really kind of common age for that to happen. Um, and is that and- accidental? Is it just that they've come across something accidentally or is it like they're actually seeking this stuff out first exposure is almost always accidental um you know you're 10 years old you think it's hilarious to type the word bum into google right but please don't do that because if you've got no filters on no safe search on the results that you get back are pretty horrific the images that you see um and you're like whoa my goodness it feels kind of shocking but also it kind of feels kind of transgressive and exciting and then it can make it more tempted to go back and do that again equally sometimes what we see is even if like your kids don't have phones they'll be in the playground with kids who do and they'll be like hey my big brother showed me this and kind of you put your phone in someone's face and you tell you've seen something that you kind of didn't mean to see um yeah so first exposure is often is, is very often accidental um and then, so, yeah, if, if it's very tempting to go back because it feels exciting. It feels like something that we shouldn't be doing. And so, yeah, yeah, all, all of these things can kind of contribute to, yeah, to the damaging impact. It can drive a wedge between like parents and kids. This sort of thing that happens like in, in secret. Um, and we can notice our kids becoming withdrawn, um, kind of like not wanting to do the things that they used to do because actually they just like want to be on their own with their devices all the time obviously that doesn't mean that they're definitely watching porn in that time but this is kind of some of the signs that we tend to see um and there is some evidence to suggest that the earlier you know, your first exposure the more the more likely it is that you will then later become addicted um so we work with um, people who used to be um addicts and who have recovered um and uniformly they say that their first exposure was about eight years old which is very young wow. it's really young to be navigating this stuff um, that's two years older than my eldest and that feels yeah. like really really young yeah yeah <laughs> especially because as we talked about the kind of the the extremity of some of the acts that we can find online is is different from even when I was a kid right yeah. um so what I say to people quite often is the the hardcore of yesterday is the soft core of today you don't have to work to find extreme violence and aggressive acts that's literally on page one of these websites they're served to you by default um so yeah yeah, for that to be our introduction to, to sex and to our introduction to relationships and how men and women relate to each other or even, you know, in a same-sex relationship, because a lot of the power dynamics are still very inherent there, even if it's uh, um, not actually gendered in that way. Yeah. That's and, cute. And are, are these kids that are, have been exposed to it early, the ones coming through with physical problems that you, you talk about later, you mm. know, yeah, the, is that is that the kind of long-term effects that we're seeing on these kind of children or it it can be yes absolutely absolutely um yeah um uh, particularly if um porn is being used as a masturbation aid um and i want to kind of make it that doesn't have to be the case um some people look at porn and masturbate some people watch porn don't masturbate some people masturbate never watch porn some people never do either and all of that's kind of like okay um yeah but uh yeah these these kind of it's things like erectile dysfunction um and that those sorts of problems can come about um 
if it is being used as a masturbation aid because basically you train your body to go oh these are the conditions under which i orgasm and so when you're not in those conditions your body's like wait what well this isn't how we do this like why would i why why do you want me to do this now like there's no screen there's not you know and that kind of stuff and so because we we basically trained it uh, down down a certain path and this is possible you know even without porn right if you get used to masturbating on your back or on your front you know, then it can become difficult to you know to uh, to orgasm in, in other positions and in other ways um but porn is a kind of compounding factor in those things that can make this sort of stuff happen faster than it would without it mm. and I mean, like some of the social messages as well. So um, I think I saw on the Naked Truth Project's website, so 44% of boys aged 11 to 16 who consume porn said that it gave them ideas about the type of sex they wanted to try. Yet 88% of porn contains physical aggression. 87% of this is aimed at women. How on earth do we counter these views? It's such a huge backward step for feminism. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and this is one of the things where sometimes people, uh, you know, teenagers will say to me, "I understand that porn's not real. I understand it's a fantasy. I watch a Spider-Man film. I don't try and jump off a building. I can disconnect fantasy and reality." I'm like, okay. But then these, you, know, you poll the same group of people, and they say, "Yeah, actually, I am looking at this as a how-to guide, as as a manual, like you get to teach me how to have sex." Um, and I think some of the counter to that is to go, okay, well, if we don't want them to look at porn as their how-to guide, as their manual for sex, what is the alternative, right? Where What I, what information are we going to replace that with rather than just saying, no, you can't do that. You can't look at that. You can't hear these things. Actually, well, what's the alternative then? What, what are we going to teach them? This kind of you know, healthy messages about you know trust and respect and mutuality. We have to replace the narrative with something better. We have to sing a better song. And I think as Christians, we're really well placed to do that. Um, because we you know, talk about the fruits of the spirit and this sort of stuff. All of these are kind of, you know, love is patient, love is kind. We've got loads of kind of ways that, that, that we can do that, but we have to be doing that actively. And we have to be doing that kind of often enough and regularly enough to counter these very strong other narratives and kind of darker themes that, that are happening online. Yeah. And because I, I, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about this before we started actually recording, but mm. some of the, I mean, how true in your experience is it that some of the stuff being taught in schools is almost supporting some of the stuff that kids are seeing in porn? Because, I mean, there's, mm. there's one MP, for instance, that quotes a lot about, um, the quotes about a school uh, teaching about, you know, how to str- strangle Mm. your partner in sex safely it is that's what happening in schools or i'll be real i've i've never seen that um (laughs) i've I've not come across that and as i said i've been working in this space for five years um it doesn't mean it's not happening but but i'll say that i've never seen it um i think what schools can find tricky is when they sort of feel like they have to kind of both sides the argument and that's why i think our position as you know as an anti-porn organization basically is quite helpful because we don't have to both sides it. Then we go, this is our position. You don't have to agree. That's up to you. But we're going to ask that you listen to us kind of explaining why we think it's so damaging. Um, and that can provide actually a much clearer narrative for the young people rather than their teacher having to be like, but maybe there is ethical porn and maybe some women are liberated. And that kind of that that's the kind of stuff that I think can get confusing. Um so yeah, does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, it, it um, does, definitely. Yeah. Um and are the teenagers that you're working with usually quite receptive or are they tend to be yeah yeah, yeah. um yeah our kind of our, our sessions are designed that they start off like kind of very jokey like haha isn't this hilarious maybe we feel a bit awkward this is a weird thing to be talking about in school and then kind of gradually they get more and more serious as we kind of talk about uh, you know addiction and erectile dysfunction through to actually kind of your relationship breakdown and then kind of the links between pornography and the human trafficking industry which obviously isn't all of pornography but it is some and we need to be real about that um so it kind of get, gets more and more serious um yeah and i think you know teachers are really uh, grateful for it as well because like I mentioned before like if if we're not doing it they've got to do it all parents have got to do it and uh and at the moment teachers don't want to do it sometimes it's not appropriate for them to do it parents don't want to do it it's really hard to talk to your kids about porn oh my goodness it's so difficult it's possible but it's hard um, and so where if we want to kind of be giving these helpful kind of healthy messages where is that coming from I think there is also real 
um, value in the fact that we are external, right? So they're never going to see us again. They can ask those questions that they don't want to ask their parents, their teachers, or like even Google, um, because, you know, I'm not going to judge them. I don't have to take the next lesson for geography. Like I just, they can ask that stuff and then I can bounce and uh, and they don't have, have to worry about what I think of them ever again. Um, so I think there is value in getting like a crazy external person to come and kind of break down the store. I've said the word pornography and, uh, and now that kind of makes it okay to talk about, to bring some of these things into the light. As both a parent and an ex-teacher and I was an mm-hmm. RE teacher and RE teachers always seem to be asked to do Another like some of the sex issue. education yeah. stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> they're like, oh, they've talked about difficult things and ethical yeah. issues. Therefore you yeah. can do this. All um, science teachers, those are the two options. Yeah. yeah, the science teachers get away with the kind of more biological bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. RE teachers have to do the, like, all the emotional, emotional stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it was, I was, I remember standing age 22 in front of a class of year 10 kids and it felt yeah. awkward. So, yeah, <laughs> I get yeah. it. And I'm, I'm now at the stage where my boys are starting to ask some questions. Like, we've had the, how do babies come out? And yeah, I've had yeah. to really find something deep within to yeah. talk about that in a way that, because I think our, our generation weren't taught to necessarily no. very honestly about it. It was kind of like, oh, absolutely, well, you know, stalk brings a baby or. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And so this is, I think we talk about this kind of in our kind of sex ed spaces about like we're pioneers, basically. No one taught us how to do this. We're like, this brand new. This is like, you know, entrepreneur style stuff because no one's ever done this well before. So we're, we're just kind of figuring that out. It's such a new like profession um, and it has so much potential. But yeah, we're like, we like, I wasn't taught well, I'll be real. So like, where, where is that going to come from? If we want to kind of be modeling some of this stuff, what does good look like? Um, yeah. And I think we've got to channel our uncomfortableness into like n- learning what actually or thinking about actually what danger our children are in if if we don't talk honestly about this um for their for their future and I also wanted to talk about um sexting and sharing images because again as an ex-teacher um I saw some pupils get seriously close to legal ramifications for this and I'm not sure a lot of parents are aware of what can happen if their 14 year old boy is sharing an image of a 13 year old girl yeah, 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 for sure. So the law, in case it helps just to have a little reminder about the UK law on this, is that if you are under 18, it is illegal for anyone to take or have a sexual photo of you, even if that is a selfie. So I, I think it's helpful just to know what the law is. And I am always surprised about how many teenagers haven't been told this bit of the law. I think that's quite an important bit of the law. Um, and I like that you use the term sexting rather than sending nudes. Um, teenagers tend to use the term sending nudes, but I don't find that very helpful because that implies that there needs to be nudity, right? And, but something can be sexual and not be naked, right? So because nudity isn't inherently linked to sexuality, there's a, there's a few separate things that can be linked and they often are, but not always, not by default. So yeah, I think sexting is a, is, is a better term to use for that reason. Um, and this helps them to think about, okay, well, why was that taken? If the point, if the reason that photo or whatever it is exists was to turn somebody on, then that could be said to make it sexual. And so that kind of comes under this criteria. Um, and the, the the police are very interested in, the, in these sorts of cases, and we have to be real about that. They are most interested, though, in investigating kind of if it has been sent on to, like, big groups of people, right? So if it's been posted on TikTok or Twitter, then that, that's their kind of main point of interest because unfortunately this is how it gets in the hands of some really unpleasant people. Um, so that's that's their main focus. Um, they'll also check out if it's not like a, if it's a, if it's to do with kind of grooming and that kind of stuff because yeah that's a, obviously very bad and that's why the law has actually changed um, relatively recently so that even if it's a selfie because you know horrible people were saying oh but I didn't take the photo the young person took it of themselves therefore there must be consent and this isn't illegal so they updated the law basically to reflect kind of self-generated sexual abuse imagery um yeah and and there's amazing tools out there and um, Childline have got this fantastic piece of kit called report remove which is basically like a sort of reverse image search and if you go onto that you put your data in your date of birth you say here is the photo that has got out of hand um, and they will do like a basically sweep of the internet and say, yep, we've found every way that we can find it and we've taken it down, which is an amazing piece of kit. It's incredible. Really, really cool thing. Um, and yeah. people don't know about it. And so I you know, bang the gong for report remove all the time. It's fantastic. 
Equally, though, when I'm dealing with stick performers, as we get to kind of towards the age of 18, the conversation has to change a little bit because, you know, the law is very clear and very good at protecting children. Um, but once you get to 18, if you want something taken down or removed, like legally, you have to prove that the person who's posted that thing did it with the intention to harm or embarrass you. Now, that's really difficult to that prove is. in a court of law. That's how good is your barrister, basically. That is the, that's kind of what that question comes to. There was a big and case so, recently of that, wasn't there? Um, absolutely. Yeah, like, yeah. Like a Big Brother contestant or Love Island contestant or something like yeah, that. Stephen yeah. Bear, who I think he did go to yeah. prison actually. Like he's he's been convicted, which is I think a really good thing and a really good precedent to set. But actually, there are consequences for this. There can be consequences. But again, with a lot of these things, prevention is better than cure. Um, yeah, yeah. And I guess to link a little bit back into kind of what you were saying earlier about um, is that you know, should we be teaching kind of healthy, a safe strangulation? Right? Well, no, because there isn't a way to do it safely. There is no way to make that safe. Um, so yeah, but and and I I see some educators saying things like oh, and harm reduction in terms of kind of sexting. Well, why don't you write the name of your partner like an eyeliner on your body before you take that photo? So if you if it gets out, you know where it came from. And I'm like, okay, that kind of helped. But also, it kind of doesn't help, right? It doesn't. That that we'll, we just sit on the back foot there. So it's just a it's a really complicated thing. Um, so one of the activities that we do with young people is we give them some kind of example, kind of images of like mannequins and stuff that we've dressed up to kind of like be in underwear or swimwear and that kind of thing. And when we chat to young people about is this appropriate to send to one person? Is it appropriate just to post on your Insta, or is it never appropriate to send? And I think that kind of activity is actually much more helpful than never do anything ever. Because actually for a lot of young people, this is now part of a relationship. This is kind of, this is this is this is default. And we can go, actually, I don't want that to be true for our young people and we're gonna have this conversation. But yeah, so what is the level of harm reduction that we wanna be engaging in basically? I mean, um, you're also yeah. dealing with teenagers who by their very anatomy, they, they have less um, sense of risk. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like getting yeah, that exactly. through to them. What yeah, yeah. what if um say j- just from a very practical perspective, so sure. there's a mum listening right now, and say so she's got a really good relationship with her son. He's got a girlfriend, and she sent him an explicit photo. Mm. So he's now in trouble because he's got that photo on his phone. Yeah. What is the best way to to deal with something like that? Mm. Do they delete That's- it? Do they report it? What do they do? It's, it's a great question. Um, yeah, so we would say we would say delete it because it is illegal to possess that imagery. Um, and this is kind of tricky, especially on things like WhatsApp, where things like auto get added into your like your files. Basically, oh, yeah. sometimes you have to delete it like a bunch of times before it's actually off your device. Um, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that would be what we would recommend. Um, just maybe have a chat about actually is this safe like you know you don't need to do that I still love you and I care about you and I think you're super hot and uh but I don't need to I don't need you to send me these these sorts of photos you don't need to prove your affection for me in this way I think that would be a healthier relationship than oh okay we've reached this stage now in in, in our going out and so now I have to do this for you um Mm. because you don't if yeah you don't have to do that that's super helpful. Thank you. And what um what practical steps <laughs> sorry, excuse me. What practical mm. steps can we take to protect our children from exposure to porn? Yeah, I'm I'm yeah, thinking yeah. from now and my you know, my six year olds on our laptop maybe playing a CBeebies game or something like that. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um and as with a lot of things, I think this changes based on their age so when they're younger you can put things like controls in place like you can use safe search you can use software um we kind of recommend covenant eyes we think that's a good one um that will basically kind of like block things um equally an analogy that i quite like to use is that the internet is a place it's a physical place um and so if you wouldn't let your kids wander around a physical place by themselves it's not appropriate to let them wander around the internet on their own, right? If you would still hold their hand in a strange city, you need to hold their hand on the internet, right? This is more of our kind of online and offline lives. They have to come together. We have to be kind of congruous um, about it. Some of it is actually like supervision. Some of it is controls and tech that you can buy and purchase. Some of it is actually, do they need a device? You know, I know they'll be clamoring for one, I'm sure, because all their buddies have one. Um, but uh, but you, you don't have to say yes to that. Or if you do say yes, it can be a very conditional yes. Um, and so when they're young, kind of all these kind of controls are, are more appropriate. 
as they get to teenage years, though, that that doesn't work anymore. As with all all kind of lots of things kind of have to change, um, and so then it becomes much more about the conversation and kind of explaining why why is it that we think these things aren't good for them, um, and a lot of it is actually we have to back that ourselves, right? If we're if we're adults saying this is good for you, well then it's good for us too. Um, and so what we recommend is if your kids are teenagers, we recommend setting up like an internet family agreement, basically where you sit down around a table and you go we would like to kind of create some sort of agreement for how we are all going to use our devices and what is our relationship with our tech and with the internet and let them input in that rather than I'm the parent and here is the law and here's how you must use stuff actually well how do we want to have good relationship with our tech and they might suggest something like okay well maybe we should leave our phones downstairs when we go to bed or um, we're not going to go on these parts of the internet and we're not going to try and kind of get around the kind of wi-fi and um Kind of firewalls and that kind of thing i'm not going to use my data to get around the kind of protections that we put in place and that kind of stuff and that you all are accountable to that because as i'm sure all parents will know kids don't do what you say they yeah. do what you do so yeah. if, if you're telling them oh they have to leave their phone downstairs but you take yours upstairs as soon as they leave home they're going to be taking their phone upstairs right so have a think about when your kids are an adult what relationship do you want them to have with their tech and then you start modeling that right now basically yeah. that's kind of the best advice that i think that i can give oh my goodness I better. <laughs> but it's, not, hard, it's, it's challenging it's, it's convicting because you go oh my goodness yeah i say all these things and they do all mm. this other stuff but it's good for us because especially our teenagers they really respect that they really respect us backing our claim and putting our money where our mouth is and going okay it isn't just a rule for me because you don't think i'm a real human yet this is actually just good by default and I like the explicitness of an agreement because again that was something that Natalie Collins brought up was Mm. that actually it's not always enough just to model that behavior like you have to be explicit about why you're modeling that behavior exactly um and sort of explain it you know what you're protecting them from or why you're doing it that way um and and you can bring your faith into that as well right I'm sure there'll already be conversations that you're having with your kids about actually I know that like whoever it is in their family they do things that way and that's fine. That's not okay for them. But we're Christians. And so we do see these things this way. Um, and so it's just kind of building on this conversation. Actually, here are the values that I have that I want to give you. This is why I think this is the best way to live. Um, and so this means that the rules are slightly different than maybe what some of your friends are experiencing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I'm going to talk about this part of just this part of um, this issue all day. But um, I also want to, I'm conscious as well, um, because we're not just a parenting podcast in fact we're more focused on motherhood to be honest Mm -hmm. than we are parenting usually but I thought it was important to talk about the parenting side of this um but um you know I think statistically it's likely possible that there'll be women listening to this who maybe are addicted to porn or have a partner addicted to porn um and firstly why why is porn so addictive Mm, it's a great question. Um, and the reason that porn is so addictive is because it's what we call in the business a supranormal stimulus. It's kind of to the extremity of the act that you might see uh, and the kind of number of different sexual partners that your brain thinks you have access to in a short time is more than you would ever expect to encounter in nature, right? Um, when evolutionarily not designed to, to cope with this kind of level of extremity and level of novelty. And so our brains react appropriately, right? They release the appropriate level of dopamine for this like crazy, overwhelming experience. Oh my goodness. And we can end up feeling a bit like high, you know, you know in, in the same way as like, you might get a high from a gambling win or from, you know, taking a drug and that kind of stuff, drinking alcohol. We get this high, but our brains, again, they're very clever. They know we're not really safe when we're in that space. Like, you know, when we're feeling a bit wide, a bit spacey, we can't like run away from a predator. It's not good for us. And so what our brain basically does is it will start to shut down some of the neuroreceptors that receive dopamine and um, to kind of try and discourage us from doing it again. But most of us are quite dopey and we go, oh, I quite enjoy the dopamine hit. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll watch porn again. And so we we do it again, expecting the same high. But it doesn't happen because we've oh, some of our neuroreceptors have been shut down. We go, oh, that's a bit weird. Maybe I'll try again. And I'll try again. And hang on, what if I end up watching some kind of darker stuff? Or what if I watch it more often? Maybe that will be the high that I got that first time. And this is the addiction cycle is chasing a high that you are physically not able to achieve. And this is recoverable. I want to say this isn't, don't get switched off forever. Um, but it does require a period of cold turkey, basically. You have to abstain. Yeah. Um, 
uh, for, and it's for a not, certain it's, amount of time. If, if I'm right in understanding this, because I, I tried to read some of it, the science mm. stuff, that, that dopamine hit, it's like a it's not like a pleasure it's like a seeking drive it's like mm. it's not like endorphins where you yes it's like, not yeah oh, afterwards or serotonin mm. you're like oh yeah it's great it's like a it's a high but it's like a, a, a drive like I need more I need more um yeah yeah which was kind of yeah this idea of kind of uh, of conquest and power right it plays into the kind of themes the point industry knows exactly what it's doing and dopamine's a great hormone right? I don't want to slag off dopamine it's fantastic the hormone that makes us feel like we're good at stuff and we can achieve things oh yeah aren't we brilliant and so if we're not able to receive that in our brain we feel crummy we feel rubbish we feel like oh why have I just done what I've done why like I'll never be good at anything and and so what's so tempting is to chase that lower way again with another high um it's yeah it's hard it's a really hard space to be in and yeah there's no shame no judgment here certainly not from from me or from us like it's the reality of it is is hard and the industry is programmed to, to 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 get us into that space because that separates us from our resources right whether that's our time or our cash right that's why the industry exists is to make money and they make it from our from our attention and they make it from our money mm, so, absolutely yeah. and and what impact can porn addiction have on relationships and and also on individuals as well I think, I think we've covered a little bit of individuals haven't we but yeah absolutely absolutely yeah so some of it's kind of health impact um um some of it is actually you know we're talking about well, what are the kind of signs of an addiction? How do you know if you are addicted to something, basically? Because people might be like, oh, well, is it or not? And and some of the signs are that you'd stop doing stuff you used to enjoy because you want to prioritise watching porn um, or whatever else it is that you you know, um, you might be addicted to. Um, like, actually, yeah, is it getting in the way of kind of you living the life that you, that you previously wanted to live? Um, which again that has its own kind of social impact if we're not going out and socializing and we're just staying inside then that has other ramifications um and from a kind of like marriage like romantic relationship perspective that can cause real breakdown um certainly if 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 my husband was watching pornography i would consider that akin to an affair infidelity and 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 i would i would feel betrayed appropriately a lot of people don't agree and that's okay that's fine but my boundary is where it is and i think a lot of people do agree and that's okay to have that boundary there because again this i don't think there should be any disconnect between our online and our offline lives right it doesn't make it different because there's a screen for me so yeah that can cause real breakdown and real real difficulty in the same way as as it might if uh, if a partner had had an affair um you mentioned yeah that, that um women kind of um being addicted to pornography um, i've received that example there because i'm straight and i'm married to a guy um so uh, yeah but actually um 37% of porn consumers are female in the uk we're slightly behind the kind of global average of 39% um, but that's a lot closer to kind of 60, 40 than a lot of people think it is. So this is very much not just a, a male thing. Now, to be absolutely clear, that doesn't mean that 37% of women are watching porn, right? That's a different pie chart. We don't really have very clear stats on that. But of the pie chart of porn consumers, 37% are female in the UK. Um, so just in case, yeah, because I, I, you know, a lot of um, women that I speak to who struggle with this thing think they're the only one. They're like, oh, my goodness, I am especially broken. And this is especially shameful for me as a woman because it's a guy thing. And a lot of our kind of other media feeds into that. Right. Like even like on sitcoms like Friends, like, you know, oh, it's this guy thing. And the church does part in this too. If porn's ever mentioned and it like, very often isn't. It's like a guy's weekend away or that kind of thing, which can just add to this kind of layers and layers of shame that especially women can feel. Um and and they don't they don't need to. I don't think that helps us. Shame is not a good motivator for for doing anything. Um, and there is help available. You're not the only one. You're not crazy. You're not you're not defunct. You're not secretly a man. <laughs> like, this is the, yeah, I, I did I did speak to one one teenager actually who um uh um said that she was wondering if she might be trans. And I was like, okay, just explain to me how you've arrived at that conclusion. It's like, what's your thought process here, basically? And she was like, oh well, because I masturbate. And I was like. There are there's so many great reasons to be trans, but that is not one of them. She'd so associated masturbation with maleness that she thought, oh, well, I masturbate, so I must be a guy. And I just, I just, we can just do better than this for our young people. We can do better than this in, in society. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. yeah. That, it just shocks me still that teenagers are still thinking like that. I, mm. I yeah, suppose yeah, I, yeah. I assume that teenagers are so much more knowledgeable than when we were, where, um, I confess to getting some of my sex education from watching Sex in the City. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and reading Cosmo magazine. Um, yeah. 
um you know it's sort yeah, of yeah. um and you think they'd know yeah mm. there's so much more out there and that we are so much more vocal about these things I that- think they are certainly more they have more knowledge absolutely but in sex ed basically what we talk about in our lessons is that we talk about knowledge attitude and behavior so knowledge is great it's good to give our young people knowledge but actually, if we're not helping them change the attitudes, then they're never going to change their behavior, right? And so you have to kind of work on all these three different things in, in that order. Um, so they can know some stuff. Like, you know, lots of young people know that you know, yes means yes and no means no, and that's what consent is. And yet the rates of sexual assault in our schools are sky high. So this knowledge isn't sufficient. We have to change attitudes and behaviors if we actually want to see societal change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And is it usually like a rock bottom or trigger that usually leads people to asking for help from people mm. like the Naked Truth Project? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that can that can look different for for a lot of people. Uh, sometimes it's being found out, you know, um, kind of this discovery. And some of the people will kind of slightly kind of deliberately try and get found out when they realize that they want to change, but they can't. They need the external motivators. So sometimes they'll kind of yeah, some of that's their kind of way of making that happen. It sounds really backwards, but you know, when you're in that space, that's you feel like the most logical thing to do. They're like, I need help, and I've got no idea how to go about doing that. Something is kind of this discovery. Um, I used to man the phone lines of Naked Truth Project, and I don't do that anymore because it, it was, I'll be honest, it was completely wrecking my mental health. And some of the reason that it was wrecking my mental health um, uh, is because I, quite often, like maybe once a week, I'd get a phone call from a chap who was quite distressed um, because he had realised that the age of the performers in the porn that he was consuming was the same sort of age as his children. And and that's the trigger to go, oh, hang on a minute. This is, this. I need to, I need to deal with this, which is, I mean, that, that's quite a rock bottom. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, um, or yeah, from, 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 from somebody who discovered their partner's porn use and gone, I've got, I've, I've got children in the house and uh, and the stuff that I'm seeing I'm pretty confident is illegal and so I, what do I do do I, do I take the kids and go like what, what happens now um so yeah yeah sometimes there is a, a real rock bottom um or sometimes it's because the police have turned up and and, and cast somebody away and then they have to explain the partner that's at home or well, the reason uh that, that we're taking them away is because they've been accessing like illegal images um, yeah. and that's the first that, that, their, that their spouse knows of it so yeah sorry it's very heavy it can get really no 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 it's Um, it's important to talk about because one of my my questions is going to be is that you know I really can't think of any times bar maybe seeing the odd seminar listed on a conference program Mm -hmm. probably more aimed towards men is porn being talked about in the church for instance and yeah yeah and why do you think that is why do you think we're so reluctant to talk about this yeah it's it's it's, a it's a great question um and my boss, Ian, our CEO, um, he went to a kind of big church leadership conference recently. I won't say which one. And one of the questions that he asked the um, the attendees um, was, how recently did you access pornography? And he gave them the choice of in the last day, the last week, the last month, uh, longer ago than that or never. And of those attendees at that church leadership conference, 24% of them, almost a quarter, had accessed pornography in the last month or more recently. So sometimes the reason this isn't being tackled in church is because was it the old big brother phrase, the call is coming from inside the house, right? The reason it's not being tackled in the pews is because it's not being tackled in the pulpit. Um, so we need to be real about that. We just need to be real about that. Um, you know, pastors aren't magically immune from tempting things online. That would be so cool if that was a superpower that they just got when they were ordained or whatever, but that's not the case. And so sometimes actually we need to help the leadership in churches navigate this and and they don't feel comfortable doing it with their congregation because actually it's something that they struggle with and that's kind of hypocritical. Sometimes that is the case. Um, sometimes it's because actually as a church we have a really weird relationship with sex. <laughs> like just the way that we talk about, the way that we think about sex is, is yeah, is is unusual and um and, and that has a whole bunch of knock-on effects is that we don't talk about it we don't, we don't even think about it basically until your wedding night and then you have to magically have the best sex of your life like sort of that's the that's our narrative basically and pornography doesn't fit into that and it feels weird to be like oh but maybe it is happening here because that can feel really disrespectful to suggest like some people on hearing that will have been like well i know that my pastor's not and i know that like my husband's not and i know that you know, my friends definitely aren't and i'm like okay great 
great maybe maybe it's not but maybe it is like we have to be open to that as an idea before we can start tackling the issue basically we um our conference and stuff that we run for um church leaders is called the p word for exactly that reason because even the word pornography is like oh my goodness you really sense a vibe change in the room when you <laughs> when you mention that word so yeah we, we kind of play into that and we call a lot of our resources the p word um for exactly that reason and and what can churches do mm. better and and not not just churches in the sense of um church capital c sure, but also yeah, yeah. as within the church you know how mm. can we deal with this better absolutely absolutely uh well if, if, if i may i'd like to plug our our, our church membership program you may. thank you that's, that is free so i'm not asking people to pay for anything um but yeah that's a, yeah you can find that on our on our website um and uh, and that's a whole bunch of resources there um resources for youth leaders about how to talk well about this to their to their youth groups resources for small group leaders or like kind of bible study home group leaders for actually going through this as a program there um you know, you can you, you can preach about this this is preachable um the the passage that um ian always uses is um Esau giving up his birthright for some stew and the kind of the immediacy of that oh and I'm just overwhelmed by the kind of smell and, and the sensation of this thing that I give up some of the long-term stuff that's more important to me um mm. and that's kind of a, a useful way in because you don't actually really have to say the word porn very often in that um so yeah there, there are a whole bunch of different things and some of it is just actually if if someone discloses to you what, what do you do with that? If someone says, actually, I'm concerned about my internet usage or actually, I think I might have broken the law. How, how are we going to navigate that? How are we going to handle that sort of disclosure? Do we know where to hand them off to? Um, like, how do we react to that without kind of putting any more kind of shame and judgment on 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 these people that actually we would say, yeah, you're, you're a victim of the industry, that this is, uh, you, you've, you've, you've been exploited yourself by this kind of industry that has groomed you into thinking this is okay. And well done for waking up, well done for getting out of that and going, I, I want help. Another Bible passage that um, sometimes is preached on is, Jesus saying um, to the blind man, do you want to be well? Which feels like a really weird question to ask. Like, should we go, well, yeah, obviously he wants to be well. But sometimes, like, if we're honest with ourselves, Jesus asks us that question and the answer is no. I don't I don't want to change my behavior. I'm quite happy. I've got comfy in the sin, like, or whatever it is, it's kind of like, you know, comfy in the meh. And um, yeah, and I, I don't want to change my behavior because that feels like a lot of effort, a lot of faff. And so some of it is actually just asking, what do you want to be well? And what would that look like? And, and supporting them with kind of behavior change. The thing that we um, that I finish my school sessions with um, is a challenge. If the young people want to accept it, uh, I, ne- I never know if they do. So I've got no idea on, on stats about this. But what we say to them is try going for a month without consuming any type of pornography. Um and the reason that we say a month is because our kind of colleagues over on the kind of addiction specialist side, our counselors, our therapists, they say that if you can't put something down that is a luxury for even one month, that is a sign that it is controlling you and not the other way around. That is the early signs of an addiction. So we recommend trying to go without for a month. And if you manage it, great, you're in control. That's fine. But if you can't go for a month, that's the sort of time where you want to go, oh, maybe I do need some outside help here. And that's true for anything, right? Like you, we can apply that if your know, pornography is not our thing. We can apply it to alcohol or social media or video games or whatever else it is. So you I can just go without that thinking, for a month. Looking at my phone behind my computer like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually that kind of stuff I think is really helpful. But there isn't this kind of like that pornography doesn't exist in this kind of separate category of, of sin. Actually, we're all prone to this. We're all prone to reaching for things that are physical things before we reach for Jesus. And we can all get better at that. And so doing it together, um, I think is, is, is really helpful and being accountable to one another as we go through that process. Absolutely. And and finally, just tell us a little bit more about what does the Naked Truth Project offer help, help-wise for people who are addicted to porn? Yep. Um, so we um, are kind of, I've worked up from kind of least sort of serious slash expensive to most serious slash expensive. Um, we've got an online course that's called Control Alt Delete. It's basically like trying to kind of, you know, if you want to put a reset on your life and that's an online video course that you can go through at your own pace and it kind of just unpicks some of these things and uh, some of, actually helps us to explore some of the reasons why we might be reaching for pornography because sometimes it's because we're feeling a bit horny and, and that's okay. But sometimes we go to porn because we're angry or because we're lonely or because we're bored. And those are actually non-sexual needs 
And so we don't have to meet those needs in sexual ways. It's really important that those needs get met, but we don't have to meet it in a sexual way. It kind of helps you to unpick actually why is it that I'm tempted to to reach for pornography? Is there a different and better way that I can kind of cope with the, with the stuff that, that I have to go through? Is that a faith-based course or is it sort of, I know it's a faith-based organisation, but sure. is it a particular course? Um, so the, uh, all of our programmes are accessible to people of all faiths and none. Um, okay. That one has like a like a, a kind of a final module at the end that is faith-based. But if you don't have a faith, you can just skip that bit. That's fine. It's very easy to skip, basically. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, so all the, the majority of the content is is, is not, not, not on a faith basis. So that course, um, and then if, if if you wanted to do something kind of maybe more like at the next level, um, we've got programs that are called Click to Kick, which I have to put my teeth in before I say that one. <laughs> um, and that's basically, that's kind of, that, that's um, kind of the equivalent of a 12-step program, mm-hmm. um, like an alcoholic anonymous, but for pornography. And that's, that's group work that happens um, and it is gender separated. So it's just men with men and just women with women. Um, and that's run by kind of trained volunteers. Um, and it's a, a 12-week course and you meet on Zoom. We'll be using Zoom before it was cool. Um, and you just kind of, and there's, there's some content every week and you go through and you say, hey, how are we doing? And you, uh, the idea is at the end, you kind of are in a WhatsApp group together. So you're all accountable. Um, and 99% of participants on that course say that they are still porn free six months after finishing, which is extraordinarily high. Like if I didn't work for Naked Truth, I'd be really suspicious about that statistic. But uh, yeah, it is, it, it's what we find. So it's a, it's a really, it's a really good, really good course. We really recommend it. It's free, um, free to access. Um, but we do recommend like a five pound donation kind of per week. Um, that doesn't have to be to us. That can be to any organization. And actually the point of that isn't to pay for the course. The point of that is to kind of kind of uh, be like, hey, look, I am a good person and I can do good things and I can use my power and my resources to, to, to benefit people. I don't suck as a human. So it's not actually about like where the donation goes. It's the fact of making the donation every week that we kind of want to encourage people into having that mindset of themselves and the kind of ghosting shame um, about that. Equally, we have kind of um, one-to-one counselling and one-to-one therapy um, with, um, yeah, with, 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 with trained professionals um, for, for, for people who are addicts or are former addicts who kind of want to just make sure that they're, they're still okay and they haven't just swapped one coping mechanism for another equally unhealthy coping mechanism. Um, so that's kind of all our stuff for people who would, would say that they are addicted or are worried that they might be addicted. We also run programs for partners of addicts. Um, and I'll be real with you, that does tend to be women. Um, we would be so open to running some courses for men, but no one's ever come forward and asked for that. So, you know, if the, if, if anybody is up for that, oh, we'd be so delighted to create some resources that does tend to be for women. Uh, and those resources are called wholehearted. And that is for whether your partner is receiving help for their uh, their issue or not. Sometimes that can go really well if you know a partner's in click the kick and 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 one and one's in wholehearted and that works really nicely. But yeah, equally, it's, it, I think it's a benefit um, even even if they're not, even if they don't see a problem with it. And then there's a kind of a follow up to that, which is whole life, which is kind of um, couples um, kind of group um, group work. Um, it's about okay, well now what? We've dealt with this issue, but but how can we kind of rebuild? How can we like have have our best relationship that that we can possibly have? And those that stuff that one to one. Uh, work and and group work in, in in from a couple's perspective is based on a pay what's fair system. Mm-hmm. So we basically tell you what this would cost if we were like the private sector, and then you can decide to pay what's fair. And if that's nothing, that's absolutely fine. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we encourage people to sort of yeah make a donation that uh, that, that suits them. And that's why we we basically we take donations as a charity because we want to make this as accessible as possible for the people who need the help, basically. Mm. That's super, super helpful. Thank you, Natasha. And it's just been such an interesting conversation to have. I'm really, I'm really, really grateful for it. And oh no, delighted. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. But absolutely. Um so just if people want to find out a little bit more about um the organization Natasha works for, um, I will put all these links on the show notes, but um uh the main website for the Naked Truth i put naked trust project here naked truth project is nakedtruthproject.com and they also have an education website which is um nt 
and truth dot education. Trying to read that <laughs> because I mean, yeah, putting the word naked in with educational resources is not usually the one. It's uh, <laughs> I, I like our name as, as an organisation. I think it's uh, you know enough to turn heads, but yeah, it doesn't make it sometimes kind of complicated. We yeah. a lot of our emails go into spam and that kind of thing. So it's uh, absolutely it's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, uh also there's uh, if you're interested in the church membership scheme it's a naked truth project.com forward slash church dash membership dash program so um i'll link all those on our show notes but before we go natasha is we always pray for people at the end if that's okay thank you yeah that'd be great awesome lord thank you so much for natasha for her passion and talent for communicating about this cause We pray for her and the whole Naked Truth Project team in their work to bring light and hope to the devastating effects that porn can bring to people's lives. We pray for people listening who might be personally affected by this podcast. Help them to seek help if needed and help us and the church to do better in helping people affected by porn. Help us to not be afraid to talk about it and remove it as a taboo, but bring this whole topic into your light so that people might lose the shame and stigma so often attached to it and find freedom again. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Oh, absolute pleasure. Take care, Natasha. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, all the links that we've talked about today can be found on our show notes. If you've enjoyed the podcast today, please do remember to hit subscribe if you haven't done already. And even better, you can help us reach a wider audience by giving a quick review on whichever platform you're listening on. See you next time.